All right, here you go, guys. If you got fed up with the Grave Talk podcast and decided just to leave, straight up just bolt out and start your own podcast with any two horror icons, living or dead, who would it be and what would your podcast be about? Now, do these have to be real people or can I use fictional horror people? Oh, I didn't get that granular with it, but <laughs> I would I would think real people. But if, you, if you've already got fictional people, go for it. I'm going to say based on John's question that we probably both have a similar idea in mind. I was thinking fictional. So I thought it would be cool to have one with like... Nancy from Friday, uh, sorry, not Friday, Jesus, I'm going to get my horror card revoked. Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, because obvious that she, I think, would be a great person to get uh, takes on other people's survival techniques. And the shape, because that person doesn't talk a lot, so that would leave more mic time for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. What would your podcast be about? Oh, uh, it would be about... Uh, evaluating other final girls survival plans because uh, you know Nancy set a bunch of booby traps very home alone style uh, and it mostly worked so she would then you know critique other people's techniques uh, and me being a noted survivalist would have nothing to uh, add but it'd be <laughs> I would just be the host and interview her thoughts on what do you think about you know so and so's uh, trap situation okay. I like it. And then the, the shape is just there to, to set the ambiance. Right, exactly. What he would do is nod his head or shake his head if he thinks a trap would be effectual to stop him. <laughs> I like it. And then uh, that's my job. I'm the shape translator. <laughs> You're going to put it into auditory format. Exactly. I'm also picturing like some on-screen play-by-play breakdowns, you know, when they, the sportscasters draw the X's and the arrows like... Well, they should have went over on this direction and hid behind this rock, but instead they ran through the trees over here. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm going to be honest, Dave. She just wanted it more. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mark, what do you got, man? The first one I came up with would be called Clowning Around with PMS, and that would be a podcast with Peter Stormare, me, and Sid Haig. And we would be a crank call show where we'd call in and make a bunch of jokes, kind of like the Jerky Boys or whatever that one crank call show was on Comedy Central. And it'd, it'd all be clown-based, right? So it'd be like calling up a, a divorce court and be like, how much is it for clowns? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> that was my original idea. All right. But, Garrett, your question posed an opportunity to play with the elements of life and death, and I decided to really abuse that power. And I wanted to have a podcast that's going to allow me to bring back dead victims in the fictional world, and this podcast would be called dead regret with Mark. And basically I would sit down these people who were murdered and say like, "Eh, do you really regret opening that door when you knew something was behind it? You think you should have thought twice now? Do you think any of them will say no to your question? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all about just shaming them in the afterworld. Like (laughs) you feel dumb for doing that. So it gives us the opportunity, you know, who, you know, we stare at the screen on from one end. Now we can really give it to them. You know, after the fact. Yeah. Not only are you dead, now we're going to embarrass you about your poor choices as well. Oh, that's so that's so cold blooded, man. <laughs> but anyway, those were my two ideas. Uh, if either were possible, I would love to join either clowning around with PMS. And that's our initials. That's why I, I say that. And then, um, you know, dead regret which would be an impossibility. But that's what I came up with. See, I went a little different direction with mine. I went a little more subtle with it, and I would resurrect the corpse of Christopher Lee and Vincent Price. 
And we would just sit there and review modern horror movies and let those guys have their take on, you know, whether it works, whether it doesn't work, you know, kind of get like that old school, you know, kind of like opinion about modern horror. You know, what what they what do they feel like really encompasses like still the, the true feel of horror. Also have them look back on the old stuff and say, yo, what did we do wrong? What could be better? You know, just kind of get like a, you know, like kind of a, a step back, like after all this time. Like they're seeing what it's become and what it was, you know, they kind of get like fresh, like reminiscent eyes on it. And um, that's it. I mean, like I said, pretty, pretty basic, pretty, uh, pretty boring, at least, you know, compared to crank calling <laughs> divorce lawyers and <laughs> things like that. No, you know what? I think I would love to see uh, Christopher Lee's uh, deep dive into the True Blood series and be like, what do you think of these vampires, eh, Lee? Oh. He'd probably hate them. I don't like any of them. These vampires need to go back to the underworld. Or he'd just be like, damn it, I wish I sparkled. <laughs> you know, like, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Where are all the capes? Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not enough capes in these movies. Uh, but no, that's what I would do. I just think it'd be really interesting to hear, like, their opinions and takes on uh, the industry and just kind of movies as a whole. But because uh, those guys, man, their voice is number one. Number two, just really interesting guys. Well, I think we came up with some pretty good options that could never happen. Yeah, I think so, too. So just, you know, keep on your, your fucking toes, guys, because I will ditch you and resurrect the corpse of these two gentlemen. <laughs> Would you say you'd reanimate them? Oh, like I like that little subtle segue, sir. Thank you. I'm, I'm a professional. Consummate professionals. And I pick up on John's cue and let's go ahead and get this episode started. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Astonishingly mediocre. (laughs) We're always bringing the heat to the Grave Talk podcast. (laughs) You're astonished? Yeah. What is this? Conservatively like day 7 million of quarantine. So, you know, hanging in there. That's true. I'm doing okay. I'll be honest. I'm uh, I'm a little vexed, a little miffed if you will, because since our last episode, I have spent two weeks searching for Amityville Dollhouse, and it does not exist anywhere except for on Amazon on VHS for like 90 bucks, and I'm not going to pay 90 bucks for fucking Amityville Dollhouse, (laughs) but this movie, I watched the trailer, oh my god, if you haven't seen the trailer, it is bananas. I want to see it because it looks like it has every bad horror trope. And they show everything that like, I think they even show the ending scene in the trailer itself. It is phenomenally bad. I'm so excited to see it. So if any of our listeners know where to find Amityville Dollhouse, hit me up. Let me know because I have to see this thing. Just a quick search on eBay. There is a DVD that was released, a three pack collection of uh, new generation Dollhouse and It's About Time going for $140. Ow. That is way too much money for this. You know when they have those three packs, right? There's like one movie that's the kind of good one, and then they put the two other trash movies. Of those three movies, which one do you think they think is the draw? <laughs> I have no idea, but I would watch them all just to just to find that out. I don't even know what to make of It's About Time. Amityville for It's About Time. Time for what? <laughs> time for this series to end. Most definitely. I think it's about time travel, like 
traveling back to when it happened or maybe from the, you know, I don't know. I guarantee you it's some kind of like time travel um, play on words. You're probably right. It's probably something really stupid like that. Well, <laughs> you guys watch anything you want to bring up before we jump into Reanimator? Um, I watched a couple of movies. I've been trying to go through Shudder. I pay for it and it has so much good stuff on it. Then I end up often just wasting time on Amazon Prime. So I watched a lot of things on Shudder. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but I do want to shout out to Abstentia. Um, that movie was super good. I'm going to ruin his name. I think it's Mike Flanagan, right? The guy who did Dr. Sleep and Oculus. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Flanagan directed it. Um, I was surprised at how good it was. It was like a Kickstarter movie, so it had no budget, but it was really interesting. Um, and then from the director we're about to talk to, I watched From Beyond, not on Shutter. I had to rent this one. I had never seen that movie before. And um, that we need to do an episode on From Beyond because that movie is insane. Yeah. Also directed by Stuart Gordon, starring Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. So uh, a lot of the same players from the one we're talking about today. Yeah. They took Reanimator and turned it up to like 20 for From Beyond. That movie is crazy. Also an H.P. Lovecraft story, right? Yeah, I think so as well. I think so. So, John, just while you were uh, talking about From Beyond, I was reading the back of the box of the Amityville. It's about time. It's literally about a haunted clock. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? <laughs> nope. I'm going to I'm gonna spend 140 bucks. I think I'm going to drop 140 bucks on this shit. This is bananas. Okay, hold on. We'll, we'll find it. It's out there. You don't need to spend $140 on a DVD. It's a three-pack, though. It's about time was the draw, uh, <laughs> for sure. Well, in other news this week, we got a drop of the Terrifier 2 trailer. If anybody remembers, we did an episode on that one about Art the Clown. What do you guys think of this trailer so far? Um, I thought it was great. It didn't, I mean, it didn't show a whole lot, but um, it was really enjoyable. And I, you know, Terrifier was like a sleeper hit for me. I had no idea it was going to be so good. So I'm ready to see more art. I'm going to have to be a little more cautious about that. You guys know Terrifier was not necessarily my jam. I'm not going to say it was terrible, but it, it was not my jam. And now that they they have a budget, now that they kind of know what they're doing with the character and stuff like that, I'm interested to see what direction they take with it, where the story goes. Because let's be honest, the first one's story was, in my opinion, pretty fucking weak sauce. Now, was it a bad movie? No, I'm not going to say it was a terrible movie, but like... It, the story did nothing for me, but now that they're coming back and they're not having to sell the character, you know, I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do with the story. And so I'll, I'll say this: I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's room for this clown to do some more inventive kills as long as they keep it fresh and don't try to uh, emulate the exact stuff from the first one. I think we could get something fun here. Um, I think that's really what made it so stand out for, for me and John again was just the inventiveness of the kills and just how gruesome they were willing to go with it. Yeah. And I think like the sophomore movie is always like the make or break movie too. So except for Nightmare on Elm Street, but in general, like if you make a good number two, I bet your series will have some good legs on it, but most series fall over here. So I, I appreciate your caution. Uh, but instead of learning my own lesson, I'm just going to go in with wild optimism and be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and it does have Felissa Rose in there. So we'll maybe her uh, caliber of acting will bring a little more to this uh, franchise. Yeah, I don't even think I don't even think the guy who did um, uh, oh, Jesus Christ art couldn't remember his name here. I want to call him Ted, Ted the Clown. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think any of the acting was necessarily bad in the first one. I mean, I think there was definitely some like 
character choices and some like you know dialogue that I was just like woof, and just the the story of the first one as you, as we know if you want to like dig more into it you can listen to our episode but like I just thought it was super bare bones and there was nothing that endeared me to any single character in that movie and yeah sure the kills were inventive but that only keeps my attention for so long so I'm really hoping they they have a a much more fleshed out storyline. Even if it doesn't delve into like art's history, I just would like hope there's there's more engaging story in this. And I think, you know, he prob they probably can do that. So um, like I said, cautiously optimistic. Which is better than like, fuck it, I don't care about this movie. Cool. Well, this is our hundred and tenth episode. I don't know if that matters, but it seemed like a nice number to call out. And uh, I think Reanimator is a good choice for these you know, seminal numbers from 1985, directed by Stuart Gordon. This is based on the HP Lovecraft story of Herbert West, the reanimator. I believe that's the, the story's title. Yes. I actually read that, uh, this weekend before we, it, but it's not a very long story. So not as impressive a feat as how excited I was about it, but, uh, it's actually really good, totally different from the movie. And I wish they'd make a movie that was very similar to the short story, but great short story. It's public domain, so it's free on the internet. I'd highly encourage our listeners to check it out. Yeah, now that that uh, that story is actually a series of stories, correct? And then they kind of all blended them together for this movie. Yeah, it's a, he must have serialized it through like you know magazines, um, which is disorienting when you read it as one long piece because the first like two paragraphs of each new story kind of recaps what you just read ten minutes ago. But I imagine if you're reading it once a month, that was very helpful. Yeah, kind of like how we binge everything now and we get sick of it too quick. Other, you know, instead of waiting for that weekly release of the TV episodes. Yeah. So this one, like I said, was was directed by Stuart Gordon with the help of uh, Brian Usna. And listeners may be familiar with him. He's the fellow that brought us Society, which we've done in the past. Stuart Gordon was originally a guy from uh, theater. He owned his own theater company. And um, they decided they were going to tackle this project, and he uh, made made this film. Jeffrey Combs was also from the theater. Did you pick up on any type of performances in this film? Felt more like a theater performance than, say, a, a standard Hollywood actor. I would say some of the scenes that, like, really, like, you know, were more monologue-y definitely had kind of some of that feel. It's really hard for me to say because my introduction to Jeffrey Combs was from Star Trek. He does a bunch of different roles, both in Deep Space Nine, where he probably is most prominent, and in Enterprise. So all I am seeing is Star Trek characters in horror movies uh, when I see him in these movies, which was really disconcerting at first, but now I you know, can see through it. But what a shock for me when I found out he's not just a TV actor, but is he, he's in these really gruesome, very sexual movies. <laughs> the wholesome Star Trek bubble has been busted. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think this is our second Jeffrey Combs film and our fourth Barbara Crampton film we've had on this podcast. Uh, the last one was Frighteners Jeffrey Combs was in and Barbara Crampton was L Puppet Master, Littlest Reich, Death House... And you're next. So it's good to finally do I, I what I consider to be Barbara Crampton's probably her biggest well-known movie that she's known for. Which is I, I which is weird because like I don't think of Barbara Crampton from this movie when I think of like Barbara Crampton, but I would probably say this is probably her most like 
the one she gets the most notoriety for. Yeah, and it may have to be with the content of this movie. Uh, this movie did not go to the MPAA. They didn't want to have it butchered, so they actually released it unrated. When you consider what else was out at the time in 1985, we were probably like three or four end of the Friday the 13th series. If you consider what they show in this movie versus what was coming out then, this movie must have been shocking for people that actually went to the theater to see it. I mean, they don't pull away. They You watch the heads get cut off. You There's like full frontal nudity at times. They just went for it. And I think the movie would have suffered greatly had they had allowed it to be knocked down to a rated R film. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm sure we'll get to it. There's uh, some scenes that there's 0% chance uh, would have ever, ever, ever been allowed to be in a movie um, if it had gone through the MPA. I think even now, um, specifically the very end, like late scene with the head, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. They wouldn't even let that scene go through now, I bet. Oh, yeah. definitely not. And, and I, I'm going to guess that that has a lot to do with Brian Usna's involvement, just based on his society movie. Where did you guys watch this film? Because there's multiple versions of it. And I watched the, integ- the integral version which version did you guys watch? I have the Arrow release on iTunes. It has like three or three and a half hours of special features. Um, so I don't think Arrow would have released a, a, a doctored copy, but I could be wrong. No, the Arrow actually has multiple versions, and that's why I watched the integral copy. Because, But the thing is, is it's not when you hit play. You have to go into the bonus features and then play it from there. Hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I watched the iTunes one. It says unrated, so I imagine it's the... Uh, original release whatever you just rent from itunes yeah so there's there's three different versions there's the unrated version which basically has more gore and um like more you know sexual content and stuff like that but then it cuts out some scenes that develop the characters then the r-rated version cuts out a lot of the gore but adds in a bunch of scenes about 10 minutes worth of uh footage where like characters have conversations and develop like these interactions and these like um, these moments between the characters and kind of like builds up the uh, the character you know arcs, and then the integral version takes all of that and puts it into one film. It ends up being like an hour and forty five minutes long, and that's the one I watched. So I didn't know if you guys watched that one also or which one you watched because it, there's some scenes I'm like I'm like wondering like which scenes like got made it like got cut out and stuff like that because it all flows pretty good in the integral version, but man there. Were, Still, on the rewatch of this film, there's scenes where I'm just like, dude, why? A, why did you even bother putting this on film? B, dude, there's no way this is getting released. <laughs> like, there's some really rough shit in this. Well, I know there's some definite story. Uh, there was definitely story beats cut out uh, of the version that I saw. Um, I guess I can just throw this out here now. So this movie's uh, Dr. Hill, who turns into our second act villain of the movie, um, he's a hypnotist. I don't know. Was that in the version you saw, Garrett? Because that's completely cut from the one I got. The only reason I know that is because I watched all the special features. Okay, that's a question I had because that's I had that capitalized in my notes. It's like, is this motherfucker a hypnotist? Because it's not explicitly said in the movie, but there are multiple scenes in um, the integral version where he's like, you will do this. You are blah, 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 blah. And then like West and Barbara Crampton and the dad all like start like, like they all kind of do what he says. And so like I was watching this movie, I was like, is this dude hypnotizing these people? Because what the hell is going on? And then later on at the end, when like the the zombie dad's doing what he said, I was like, I think this dude's a hypnotist, which is so fucking weird. 
it makes no sense. But yes, I, I asked that question too, because I was like, I think this guy might be a hypnotist. It is. <laughs> is it like a magical hypnotist? I mean, besides the sheer fact that hypnotism is magic, but like, does he read or control minds? Tele- is he a telepath, I guess? Because that would explain what happens in the second half of this movie that really confused me, where he can like control the other zombies. Yeah, I, I totally understand your confusion on that, but it, it, it is literally that 80s thing of like, you know, why can lightning do what it does? Why does it have that properties? It's just a, mm. a mystical thing, you know, hypnotism. That means that he can do way more than a real world hypnotist would actually be able to do. Got it. All right. Well, let's get the uh, details out of the way here. We've got a cast. This one stars Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. Bruce Abbott as Dan Kane. Barbara Crampton as Megan Halsey. David Gale as Dr. Carl Hill. And Robert Sampson as Dean Halsey. Yeah, this film is crazy. Like, I got shown this film, and I remember being really upset because I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a scene where they just completely abuse a cat. And it's a fake cat, but still, it was... um, Oh, man, it was hard for me to watch. Even now, I was still just like, I don't care for this. I don't care for this at all. I have a bunch of questions about the cat scene, but first and foremost, we can all agree that Herbert killed that cat, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. He killed that cat. Yeah, no questions asked. He he like he is more methodical and devious than he will let other people realize, you know. He'll walk right up to that line and he'll have an excuse for it, but he definitely did it. Yeah. I the whole time he was making his bullshit explanation, which did include one of the best lines in the movie. I was like, "You're a cat killer." Big time cat killer. Oh, what was his what was his excuse? It was like, oh, I found the cat. It suffocated. It got into the trash. Its head was stuck in a jar. Yeah, he's I was gonna tell you, but what was I gonna do? Just write a note that said your cat's dead? I was like, <laughs> you it's like this is the flimsiest fucking excuse I've ever heard in my life, dude. The he said he was like, Yeah, it suffocated, but the cat in the fridge was like stomped to pieces. Yeah, you're right. It was all like roadkill looking. Yeah. Um Let's get into that scene when we get there. I've got more to say on it. Um, but here's what we've got on the back of the VHS box. Uh, one of the year's top 10 films, says the Village Voice. Reanimator, H.P. Lovecraft's wildly outrageous tale of grisly horror that has become a modern cult classic almost overnight, comes home to video to haunt, thrill, and delight the mad scientist in us all. Reanimation, the science of bringing dead creatures back to life, is Herbert West's dream. West tests his secret life-rejuvenating potion on some cooperative corpses at the local morgue. It's a success, but only a temporary one, as the dead spring to life, reacting violently to their reanimation. Zombies are loose, and now Wes cannot control the very beast he has recreated. The born-again dead are unstoppable. Even severed body parts take on life like so many split worms. Okay. Herbert West has a serious problem. Will he become the first in a new breed of headhunters, or are all his woes coming to a head? Reanimator, an intense film of spine-tingling effects and macabre humor. (laughs) I don't know if it's that clever. I... 
I have one question. What do you think they mean by the first in a new breed of headhunters? I have no idea. I, I think that's a play on words. Yeah, I don't remember that part of the movie at all, where he was starting up headhunting. No, and I also <laughs> don't know how a corpse can cooperate. <laughs> right. They don't really have a say in it all. Throughout the whole movie, they're very surprised when it happens. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so this one's sitting at a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics and uh, 82% with the audience out of 37,000 reviews. I'm going to just say, if you haven't seen this one, just press pause and go watch it. This one is a definite must watch for any horror fans. It is so much fun and it's so ridiculously over the top with its blood and violence. There's nothing not even as nonsensical as the plot can get at times. It's still a whole lot of fun. I forgot how absurd the movie like I've seen it once before. And I remember like being like, oh, that was a pretty cool horror movie. There was some definitely some like scenes that I was like, wolf. But um, like overall, I was like, okay, I get it. I see why this is a cult classic. But upon watching it again after all this time, I had forgotten about how like insane the second half of this movie gets. And I was just like, oh, oh, that's right. This becomes like 1950s, 60s level horror like cheesy and fun and creepy at the same time so i I don't know i kind of like the fact that it had this like really serious yet kind of lighthearted nature to it which i think we kind of had a little bit of in society too you know like this like kind of real like severely like messed up kind of thing with this kind of fun you know atmosphere yeah i'll second what mark says uh for sure go watch this movie um i also had only seen it once before and it was years ago and i remembered the broad strokes but to garrett's point you really this movie is insane but like in such a fun fun way highly recommend it go watch it right now we'll see you in 85 minutes garrett you mentioned that this almost feels like a 1950s or 60s era horror movie at times and it definitely does i was getting flashes of the brain that wouldn't die or the 1930s frankenstein or dr jekyll and mr hyde i think hb lovecraft was really trying to make his own frankenstein story with this were there any other classics that you were seeing being invoked in this mostly the brain that wouldn't die is what i i saw the most of in this um there was definitely some frankenstein you know, in Dr. West, I think I was reading on the, the trivia on IMDb and they originally wanted to shoot it in black and white and actually make it a little more Frankenstein-y. But um, I'm kind of glad they didn't because I don't know if that would have played out well. Oh, unless they did it black and white and had the reagent still be the like glow stick green. That would have been a really cool effect. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, I feel like it would have gotten tired, though, like for throughout the whole movie. But and I'm glad. So I'm I'm glad they used color. I think they would made some good color choices, um, and it just made it all seem the more crazy. Yeah, Stuart Gordon said he originally he uh, he originally pitched this to PBS as a miniseries, and they were like, no, 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 no. PBS. <laughs> oh God. I don't know why he thought this would go well. Maybe that was before Usna got his hands on it and really up the gore. But who knows? I would love to know how much of Yuzna's influence actually like impacted this film because it feels like there's times where this is this is definitely it feels different, and then sometimes it just goes full Yuzna, and it's like whoa! Like I want to know. I I would love to have been a fly on the wall to find out like how much influence he had on this script because again, there's some scenes where you're just like, hold on to your hats, like this is about to get gnarly if i'm not mistaken one of the things that he had influence on was the introduction sequence that we're about to get to with herbert west and dr grubner um which is a really disgusting effect where the doctor's eyes explode um on screen uh but that that was one of using uh, influences i believe 
So this one had a budget of $900,000, dude. I think they did a fantastic job for barely anything at all. The acting's good. The special effects, in my opinion, were super well done also. Wait, you're saying like they did it for less than a million? That's crazy. Well, not a huge success. It was, it did okay. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, this, this uh, film structure is a little interesting because the film starts off setting up Herbert West as the villain, and then we get a brand new villain halfway through the movie. I think we get an additional villain. Herbert West is still definitely a villain. I mean, he like tries to redeem himself, but honestly, what he's doing is mad shady. And he killed a cat. I don't even think he tries to redeem himself. I think he just like he, his his um his end goal momentarily lines up with like some of the main characters. Like that's it. Like cuz even at the end, I'm not going to spoil it, but like even at the end like when he has a chance to be like, cool, cheese it, we're out. Like he's still like, no, I got this. I'm going to do my crazy shit. And you're like, bro, like give it up. Like, Dude, Herbert West does not know the meaning of ease it up. He only <laughs> he only goes 100 miles an hour. It's the only thing he knows how to do. Yeah, and you're not wrong. I think it's more like the, the spotlight shifts over to Dr. Hill though. And But there's something just so likable about Herbert West. You know, it's just, it's fun to watch him do his thing because he's just so slimy and so just into wait did you say something did you say something likable about herbert west there's nothing likable about that character oh i had a i had a blast watching him dude i loved every time he was on screen i was having a good time oh i had a completely different reaction every time he was on screen i was like oh this creepy little weasel i was like get him out of here i'm not saying i want to go have a beer with the guy i'm just saying like he's fun to watch him do his thing and you're like dude you're such an asshole you know that kind of likability, I guess. Yeah, I think if you feel that way, Garrett, that means Jeffrey Combs did his job. Oh, yeah. No, he, he did a really good job of basically pulling off his role. But it's one of those things where it was like, at no point in this movie, and especially after the cat scene, at no point in this movie was I ever like, okay, yeah, man, let's see what you got going. And it was always like, nope, do what you got to do and get the fuck out. Like, like when he let, when he let um, Dr. West move in, I was like, done. I would have broken up with him. I think, I, to Mark's point, he's an enjoyable bad guy, right? Yeah. In the sense that you watch him and you're like, fuck that guy. But he's also like chewing on all the scenery. He's owning every <laughs> scene that he's in. He's so great. He's like an untrained dog. He's chewing on everything. <laughs> yeah. Think about the typical Hollywood movie here, right? In forms of, in, in terms of like, you've got your leading lady and your main uh, likable character, Dan, in this instance. Normally, they might be considered to be the stars of the movie, but I think Jeffrey Combs just completely scoops it up and takes it home in his bag without any competition, really. Uh, Yeah. One more thing before we jump into the plot of this. I really uh, wanted to call out this uh, movie's theme song. Um, The music is really well remembered, but man, does it sound like Psycho by Bernard Herrmann. Have you listened to the Psycho theme song recently? Yeah, uh, I feel like they just lifted it a hundred percent. Like it was like a, a, a like a vanilla ice situation, right? They changed like one one note, <laughs> and we're like, no, it's totally different. What are you talking about? Yeah, we were on the DVD menu and I was like, I was like, 
this sounds like Psycho. Like I, like, I don't know who did this soundtrack, but this sounds just like Psycho. And then the soundtrack starts, and I'm like, this is like proto Danny Elfman. And then I remember that Danny Elfman did the, the soundtrack to the Psycho remake in 2000, and I was like, and that sounds just like the original. And I was like, oh, well, that's probably why it's hitting like home like that. But yeah, no, this is, I don't want to say it's lifted, but it is heavily influenced i i don't know where i fall on it i think it's being very generous to say it's an homage because there's so many notes and it just it's structurally sounds almost identical um, except for the fact it's got like a drum machine on it but you know at, at the end of the day i don't really hold that against it it's still a great song to listen to and it's really uh i think top tier 80s theme song even if he didn't do it 100 percent uh it was done by richard band by the way i think he's probably related to empire slash full moon features uh charles band who made all the puppet master movies and all that stuff nice yeah the intro scene to this movie though like the credit scene because like as you said the first scene we get introduced to dr west and um dr gruber is it Gruber? Uh, yeah, Hans Gruber from Die Hard, which I wonder if they stole from this or if <laughs> two people just happened to come up with the same awesome name. <laughs> I don't know, because at the end of the movie, Dan's outfit is very um, Bruce Willis from the from Die Hard 1. I was all like, I think there's some Die Hard homages here. But yeah, you get introduced to Dr. Gruber, who is being reanimated by dr west and his eyes explode and it's so grody it's 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 beautifully grody like the the fact that they did that on nine hundred thousand is like amazing but yeah he dies and then they send west away and he's like i could have i could have saved him they're like you killed him he's like no i gave him life and then we cut to this like i feel it was really a really great title sequence um we had these like medical drawings and these like very bright color palettes, like kind of, you know, moving through the background as we like, you know, the show, the actors names and stuff like that. And with combined with that, like really haunting kind of like psycho-esque soundtrack. I don't know. I really enjoyed the intro. To this. I think it, it really set the right pace and the mood for what I was about to see. No, you're absolutely right. And I do want to call out that title sequence was created by Robert Dawson. He's responsible for, uh, Puppet Master, Ghoulies, Repo Man. He's even done stuff like The Doors, Patriot Games, Batman Returns, Cliffhanger. I'm I'm just talking, you know, stuff. This dude is is big time in the title sequences stuff. Just go look him up, and you'd be surprised. Garrett, he also did the title for Bad Boys. Oh, Bad Boys! <laughs> yeah. I'm in. I love it. Now that guy's that guy's got talent. That dude. He knows how to make a title sequence, that's for sure. Con Air, Armageddon, Small Soldiers, Tarzan, um, Alice in Wonderland uh, may have been his most recent one. Welcome back to Title Talk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. G-Force, that movie all about guinea pigs. Who can forget that one? I actually enjoy that movie, so I can't say anything. (laughs) I've never seen it, so I'll take your word for it. Uh, but you're right. I think it's a great introduction that really lets the viewer know like, okay, this one is going to be a little out there. And the title sequence does a great job at, at communicating that to the viewer. Once the title sequence is over, we cut to our, I, I want to call him our main character, med school Dan. I don't remember Dan's last name. He's working on a, a patient and he's like, just kind of refuses to let him go. Like you get that, that feel that he's just not, he doesn't want to like have a patient die on him. And I thought he was a full-on doctor, but evidently he's still in med school. And then he, the, the patient dies. They're like, let it go, dude. He's gone. 
And so he's like, okay. Now, I'm not, I didn't know doctors had to also wheel their own corpses down to the morgue. Pretty sure they don't do that, but he's a med student, so maybe that's why they made him do it. Maybe that's the price of admission. Yeah, you don't get your uh, roadies until you graduate and get that MD, you know? <laughs> but I will say this. If I'm dying, I hope they don't have the med students working on me. Please call in the real doctors. <laughs> uh, don't bring in the D squad to try and save my life, please. Yeah, there's a line later on in the movie, like it's when Dr. West is um, trying to convince Dan that what they're doing is okay. And he's all like, he says, every doctor's dream is to defeat death. And I'm like, I don't know if that's every doctor's dream is to defeat death. <laughs> they're the only people that want to do it. Yeah. Dentists. What are dentists goals? <laughs> <laughs> to defeat plaque. Yeah. To defeat every ounce of plaque on the planet. I, I have to say... The fact that this guy's name is Dr. West and they call him Mr. West throughout the movie, uh, I cannot stop thinking of Kanye West. (laughs) In fact, after this, I went and listened to some Kanye West songs because this movie uh, just put that name in my freaking head. And now this podcast is doing the same thing. I was thinking Adam West every time I heard Mr. West. Yeah, I guess the movie felt like a little more campy and stuff like that to me. So I I wasn't thinking Kanye. I try not to think about Kanye generally anyway, but um, it definitely was like, to me, I was like, Adam West could could fit into this movie pretty easily, I feel. Oh, for sure. He could have been, uh, you know, the Dean or any of those guys. He would have been a perfect fit. I don't know if we could stick uh, Kanye West in any parts of this movie. Oh, I don't think he would have fit in the movie. Just the name that comes to mind when people have the last name West. That's uh, that's what comes to mind for me. But Kanye's ruined the name West for you forever, huh? I suppose so. Though, man, he makes some fire music. So, John, when you're staring at a compass, do you go north, south, east, Kanye? Uh, Doesn't everybody? (laughs) Nope. Just you. Congratulations. (laughs) So... So anyway, Dan, the med student, um, takes the corpse down to the morgue. And that's where we get introduced to the uh, the security guard who's all like, hey, did you, what you got? And he's like, just a corpse. And he's like, okay, cool. And this dude's just chill. Like this guy is just in charge of guarding the morgue. And so Dan takes the corpse into the um, the freezer section of the morgue. And I'm I'm kind of shocked that there were so many like half covered dead bodies everywhere in the morgue. I feel like you... In the morgue, you should be a little more careful and maybe cover up the, the bodies instead of just leaving them like, like they, they cover those bodies like I make my bed. I just kind of throw everything in one general direction and be like, yeah, that's good enough. Well, this hospital apparently doesn't have like the morgue cabinet where you put the bodies in the, the wardrobe of dead people. The wardrobe of dead people? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets their own little cubby. They just put them in a room. I mean, you know. Not everyone's like fancy. Yeah, I don't know how you qualify after you're dead to get your own little space. Is that some sort of like government uh, program or something you have to sign up for? I think it's probably just a facility. I'd say I have a strong opinion on it, but I suspect at the time I will not care. (laughs) You're probably right. Uh, This is about the time that we're introduced to the Dean, Dr. Hill and Herbert West, correct? And where he's uh, being introduced to Dan. He's like, hey, this is Mr. West. He's joining us from... Uh, Germany. Um, he was under Dr. Gruber. And then everybody kind of looks at each other like, you heard what happened to Dr. Gruber, right? And then he just straight up starts mad dogging Dr. Hill, you know, the lead doctor of the, the med program. He's like, oh man, your, your science on brain death is like 10 years outdated. Dr. Uh, Gruber was so far ahead. I don't even know why you call yourself a doctor. And it's like, dude, he does not give a shit. Well, he's he's really upset because Dr. Hill is acting like his brain research is like it was the battle of the brains, basically. Um, he's acting like his uh, research was like the top level. And he's like, no, you just kind of lifted what Gruber did and then tweaked a few things. And you're wrong about what you tweaked. 
And Hill being an egomaniac was just like, how dare you? Like they started going back and forth and he's like, well, six to 12 minutes is the longest before brain death. Yada, yada, yada. And he's like, you're wrong, sir. And then they kind of start getting in it. And then like the Dean is like, all right, all right, calm down guys. One of my favorite moments in that exchange with Dr. Hill and West is when Dr. Hill goes, um, I'm, I'm sorry, your name, uh, West was it? And then doctor, and then Mr. West is like, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Hill was it? And it's like, I, I don't even have time to remember your name. You're so insignificant. And then Wes throws it right back at him. Yeah. Those two, man, pieces of work, as we'll find out later on. Most definitely. At this point, we're introduced to Dan Kane's girlfriend, Barbara Crampton's character, uh, Megan. She shows up and then we smash cut straight into them fucking. And I was like, that's a literal smash cut. Oh, <laughs> they gave you no time to say hello. I believe they smash right into smashing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we've ever gotten a character faster in bed than this movie just showed us. I was like, God dang, she didn't get to say more than hello. It was the 80s, Mark. Everyone was just smash cut into smashing. <laughs> so Dan has a room for rent and Barbara Crampton is, is staying over there. She's not supposed to. I guess there's, this is like an on-campus dorm or something like that. I didn't quite figure out why it mattered if Barbara Crampton was over there or not, but they were making a big tills like, I got to get out of here before somebody sees me. Okay, so this is the thing. I, I know this because also, did you notice his address? Because before we, we smash cut to the them meeting and boning, um, he's putting up a room for rent um, post-it note on the bulletin board at the hospital. And his, his address was 666 Dark Street or Darkmore Street. And I was like, nice. But yeah, so the reason she's she's not supposed to be seen there is because she's the dean's daughter and she doesn't want anybody to know that like they're not supposed to be shacking up and so if she's over there at night with this dude and people see that they're going to get the wrong idea they could tell the dean and that could affect dan who evidently has a loan from the 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 school because the dean thinks he's a good kid because the dean's like i want to introduce you to dan kane you know he's all about this dude he's like yeah he's dating my daughter he's a good he's a good quality chap and so she's being very like i got to get out of here before it seems like i'm i'm shacking up with you so that's why in the bed they're having pillow talk about like he's like well i've got to i got to find someone to rent this room because i just can't afford it on my own did you guys notice this house it's like a nine bedroom mansion i was like no wonder you can't afford this fucking thing you're going to college and you're living in like a nine bedroom house dude like downsize huge yeah it is and he apparently only lived there with one roommate the 80s were wild uh i guess <laughs> rent must have cost like a can of pepsi a month or something because <laughs> wow oh man yeah but i just thought it was really funny he was all like he's like well i gotta get another roommate or else we're not gonna be able to afford this place and then like when they start walking around the house after they get up out of bed i was like how could you afford this place if you were fully employed man i was like even as a doctor you're probably barely making like payments on this it was massive. It was even a basement. This is something that horror movies often we run into a lot of times where I was like, how can that character afford this? Like uh, when we, we said it on um, Drag Me to Hell, mm -hmm. right? Whenever the character was living in that two, three story house working at a bank, she wasn't even a bank manager. And you're like, that's not possible. Yeah. In San Francisco. Come on, movie. <laughs> horror movies totally distorted my view of what homes are supposed to be like. They're not all apparently palatial mansions. Yeah, exactly. And if you're talking about med students, that mansion should have been jam-packed with 12 other roommates. <laughs> where's where's that horror movie when it's like four dudes living in efficiency, basically be like, there's a ghost. It's like, yeah, no, we can see him, man. We can see this entire place. <laughs> like, it's like, there's no room. Yeah, go away. Haunt somebody who has more space. <laughs> we don't have it. 
You know, you, you, you touch on that a little bit, Garrett, um, whenever the Dean and Dr. Hill are talking about Dan dating Megan and they say something, I think there's a little bit of classism that's introduced because he says he's just a poor kid. You're also going to find out that Dr. Hill is grossly attracted to Megan throughout the movie. I was like, dude, this guy is such a creep. Let's let's hold on that because right before we get to that scene, um, Rufus the cat, basically uh, Dan Kane's cat jumps onto the bed. And they're like, Rufus, and like you you see that he's got a cat, which is very important for later. So I just want to make sure that we do get an introduction to the cat because I want to make sure the cat gets full credit for his screen time. Noted. Then we cut to this weird, creepy dinner. And this had me feeling like society so much because what it is, is it's Dean Halsey and Dr. Hill basically having this like kind of nice dinner with Dan and uh, Megan. And they're like, well, we've got to go study. And they're like, he's like, okay, you young kids have a, have a good night. And then the moment they leave, Dr. Hill goes into this weird, you know, like, are you okay with this? He's a poor kid. She deserves better. She needs someone older who can like take care of her. Like they just really kind of like nagging this whole thing into a point where like, I, this is not good. And this is where I got the, the vibe of like, is he trying to like manipulate his mind via his words? Because the screen starts getting like really dim around him. And then the entire scene starts like being lit by like fireplace. And he's like, she needs someone. And he's like, he's clearly referring to himself. And it gets really fucking gross and creepy that he's all like, I want her. And then you kind of get that the dad, Dean Halsey, is going into this like trance. And then he eventually smashes the glass he's holding in his hand. That's the first part I wrote is like, does this dude have hypnosis powers? Because that was super weird. Yeah, and he does. It just was never explicitly stated because it was cut out of the movie. As Garrett mentioned, uh, Dan puts up a little note about room for West and a uh, room for West room for rent. <laughs> <laughs> so Herbert shows up and it looked like it was nighttime, which was weird to begin with. Um, also unannounced. And he's like, oh, I'm here to see the room. Does it have, does this place have a basement and can I be left alone? And he is like really pushy, regular Herbert West weirdness, right? And Barbara Crampton's character is picking up on how weird he is. He's, she's like, hey, Dan, maybe we should get back to him about this. And Herbert's like, no, here's my money right now. And he just hands him like a stack of money. And Dan's like, come aboard, friend, which is probably (laughs) the most medical student thing uh, that happens in this movie. But the whole time, Barbara knows something is weird with with Herbert. But Dan is clueless. He did not pick up on just like how bizarre and aggressive Herbert was being during this whole thing. He like walks in. He's like, oh, I already brought my bags. He kind of tours himself around the house, uh, goes right to the basement uh, and is like, all right, this is a perfect place for me uh, and forces Dan essentially to rent to him. Well, he doesn't. I mean, because Barbara, like, I keep on, but Meg like turns them and she's like, I'm sure uh, Dan wants to review this before he makes any decisions, like looking right at him dead in the eyes. And he's all like, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I might. And then Wes just whips out money and Dan's is like, cool. And she's like, God damn it, Dan. Like <laughs> your face is just this beautiful moment of like, I just said you want to review this, right? And he's just like, nope, money, gotta go. If he had listened to Megan, this whole movie could have been avoided. Or at least from his perspective, he would have gone, I'm sure Herbert would have gone and tortured some other uh, roommates. But Dan and Megan would have lived a happy life, I suspect. 
Well, I think West also targeted Dan because he knew that he had access to the the corpses like right away. Because I mean, because later on he's all like, "Why me?" And he's like, "Because you had access to what I needed." So I think I think West would have found a way to kind of like worm his way into that situation. But yeah, Barbara Crampton was straight up onto this out the gate. She's like, "Nope, creepy dude alert." not happening. And then he's like, money? I'm good. Let's go. I agree. It probably was a Dan thing. But one of my notes is imagine being able to rent just somewhere this easily. He doesn't have to have references. He fills out no paperwork, doesn't sign a lease, doesn't have to have a security deposit, first and last month rent, nothing. He's just like, here's a wad of cash. Uh, I'll see you the first of the month. I wasn't sure if I was going to chalk this up to John's uh, question of, was this just an 80s thing or was this just a Dan thing? I think it's a Dan thing. And he clearly has a history because when they say he worked with Dr. Gruber, everyone's like, ooh, okay. That was a whole weird situation. And it's just like no red flags. Dan would not see like a terrible situation right in front of his eyes if it was like sending him a signal. No, because even Megan's like, hey, you never said why you left Sweden. And he's just like, I learned everything I could there. And then silence. It's like, what the hell, dude? Like, you don't have any cover story? And he doesn't even say it in a way that's like convincing. It's just like done. And and everyone's looking at him like, that was a really fucked up answer. And then Dan's like, cool. So you got money? And it's just like, oh, God, dude, pay attention to the signs. Well, this may be a good point for me to uh, point out the question. Is Dan just a dunce or is he just some sort of like good natured character that was trying to be nice to the, the new kid? I think he just doesn't know how to like read a room. He's I may, maybe what he is, is he's very intelligent because right? he's a doctor. So he's going to be a doctor. So at least he's book smart, uh, but he's not very, you know, wise or curt charismatic he just doesn't know how to interact with people um or detect weird people yeah i think he has no like social like uh warning system because man it is it's painfully obvious that west is not the kind of person you should rent to right away but you know i asked that question because throughout this movie we're gonna see that west leads dan by the nose throughout everything that happens you at multiple points of this movie i was like dan what are you doing, buddy? Why are you still following Herbert West around? Like you're accepting of his, his, what he says and you just play along with it after it gets more increasingly crazy as the movie continues. Well, there is that one moment where I thought they were going to actually expand on it. Cause like that line where he's like, cause where West is like, once, once Dan kind of sees what's going on and we'll get to it, you know, he's like every doctor's goal, every doctor's dream is to defeat death. And I know that Dan has this like, you know, he he feels the loss of a, a losing a patient and stuff like that. So I think he was, I think we were supposed to assume that he was driven by this, like, yeah, I want to save everybody, this very altruistic type thing. But again, the whole movie, he's led around by his nose with very little, like, you know, um, resistance. So it doesn't come across that way. It just comes across as Dan would do anything anyone tells him to do. Yeah, it's almost like he's hypnotized by Herbert. Oh, everyone's a hypnotist in this movie. <laughs> Everyone was in the 80s. There was all those classes and VHS tapes you could buy. Just get yourself a gold watch and you can join the hypnotist club. Oh, 
the next scene is my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's the uh, the classroom scene. We we cut to uh, Doctor Hill like ripping the the top of the head off of a, a corpse to basically show how to cut open the um, the head to get to the brain. Now that part I didn't enjoy because that was just extremely disgusting. The foley work there was so good. I was like grimacing you heard every little squish and the brain surgery like the sound effects for that on point some of the best in the movie and really disgusting i actually have a note here that says when he puts that brain in the pan i hear it way too well this is not okay <laughs> so like it was yeah you're right the the foley work on that throughout this whole movie is really good but especially in that scene man it is it's poignant but um so he's describing like to his class you know like you know we have six to 12 minutes to do this before brain death and yada, yada, yada. And Dr. West is just grimacing at him. He's just like looking at this this uh, Dr. Hill like, oh, you're so fucking wrong. And he starts snapping pencils like a while Dr. Hill's talking to interrupt him. And Dr. Hill like knows it. he's like, he's like, as I said, you know, like he goes after Dr. West, but in a very passive aggressive kind of way. Like he's talking to the class, but he's clearly pointing it at, at West. And then the moment class is over, Dr. West gets in his face and is all like, you're fucking wrong, bro. Like, and he's like, you're wrong. And I was like, now kiss. Like they were so at each other's throats, like instantly. And I was like, that's the thing is like, that's kind of like, I wish that those two would have had a very different um, uh, moment of, conflict at the end of the movie because it felt like it built up to this more like nebulous scene as opposed to a more direct conflict that these two had i do like in that scene too during their little tit for tat he's like mr west i suggest you get yourself a pen (laughs) yeah Yeah. great line (laughs) but he would have snapped that shit and ink would have been everywhere oh that would have been great i can see what you're saying garrett you wanted a more or more of a showdown between the two than the um all-out chaos that the movie dives into at the end Yeah, I think the chaos works really well for this movie. And I love the fact that it is so like completely unexpectedly like it, it escalates to a degree that you're just like, I could not have imagined we would get this. But I feel like we 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 missed a especially after the scene where and we'll get to it in a minute where um, Dr. Hill like uncovers the secret of reanimation and tries to steal it from West. Like after all that, I expected a little bit more of a, a showdown between the two. And it just didn't seem like we got that a whole lot. Cause the moment they actually had that moment of conflict, it, they introduced like a ton of zombie chaos. And it was like, Oh man, we're not going to get like the, the battle of the brains, the battle of the minds. Yeah, I can understand that. So the next scene we get is them back at the door, uh, Dan's house and uh, uh, Megan and Dan have been hanging out for a while. And she notices all of a sudden, like, hey, where's Snuggles or whatever the hell the cat's name is? Rufus. Rufus. All right. My bad. Such a great cat name. <laughs> Yo, listen to this guy, Rufus. He knows what he's talking about. Rufus. Um, I, I, my uncle had a dog named Rufus. So I'm, uh, I associate that name with dogs, but uh, to each his own, you know. Um, so Snuggles is missing. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so Rufus is missing and, and Megan's like, where is he? Normally he comes over and he hangs out and lets me pet him and I hear him meow and I haven't heard him in like all day since I've been here. So they start looking for the cat. Well, she wanders into West's room and the, the, I don't know why West is just leaving his mini fridge ajar. That was a bad move because she wouldn't have found it. But she opens up and there's the cat looking like a piece of roadkill. So, John, you're right. It looks like it got smashed up more than just getting his head stuck in a jar like he claims. It's like, bro, 
at least think of something smarter than that. Because I don't know of any cat. Again, I, I'm allergic and I don't really care for cats. But have you guys ran into cats that get their heads stuck in jars? Is that something that happens? Cats can get their heads stuck in stuff, but it's 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 never quite that blatant. And it's usually they'll they'll find a way to survive. You know, it's like usually you don't see a cat suffocating itself in a jar yeah also when they do get their heads stuck in things they don't suddenly get crushed <laughs> not a normal part of it yeah i'm not That's a huge true. into cat anatomy but uh you know yeah i want to point out real quick mark though that like when you say that you know uh megan is all like hey where's rufus we haven't seen him in a while you know th- she immediately before they even get up to look for the cat she's like i bet west did something with him and then dan's like i don't think so and it's like she immediately knows where the fuck like the fault lies for this missing cat and yeah i, I she she knows like there's there's no surprise i feel like barbara has like dealt with enough like creepazoids in this movie to know like she can her radar is pinging um <laughs> But yeah, she, she finds that cat and uh, again. Well, hold on. Also on the list of things that Dan is bad at is being a pet owner because a guest had to be like, hey, where's your cat? <laughs> he wasn't like, I haven't seen my own animal in a while. Look, he was trying to make out. All right. I wonder if that speaks more to how difficult med school is or of how bad Dan is at just living. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> yeah. Did he not think about feeding the cat? Yeah, good question. Maybe he just puts food out and just kind of leaves it. Yeah. And her, to your point, Mark, Herbert West, terrible roommate, just wasting electricity by keeping that mini fridge open. That's probably going to burn out the compressor as well. So bad at fridging and bad at roommating. <laughs> just bad at life and, and battery animating. <laughs> He's bad at everything. He's also really bad at taking uh, blame because as soon as he walks in the room and Megan's in there like, oh my God, what is happening? And he's just like, what are you doing on my room? Oh, How dare you come? Dad! Dad! I thought I was going to the private room, Dan. Meg, what the hell are you doing in here? I... Would you please leave? Now, easy. In the fridge. Like, I'm not even going to address the dead cat in the room. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. are we not going to acknowledge why everyone's screaming? Like, he does not give a shit about this. He's just he's more upset than Barbara Crampton's in there. That's what makes Herbert West's character so great in this movie is the fact that he is so committed to the role he's playing. I will admit, I don't find him likable at all because I'm not supposed to. But man, he does such a good job of like making you believe that Herbert West is like this garbage person. Yeah, I, there's a big reason why he came back for all the sequels and not Dan and Barbara, right? It, he he literally steals the, every scene he is in. Uh, and this leads us to probably the best line in the movie. You weren't home, so I put it in there. I certainly didn't think you'd want to find it like that. I did not want to stink the place up. I was going to show you. You couldn't call or write a note. I was busy pushing bodies around, as you well know. And what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead. Details later. I would lose my shit. If I, if I walked in and, like, if my cat was dead, my room was like, oh, by the way, I'd be like, you are out of here. Don't, you don't even get your stuff. Like, you're gone, bro. Like, get the fuck out. I'd be so mad. Like, and he just, and Dan just waves it off like, well, what was I going to do, Megan? Like, the cat's dead. And it's like, dude, (laughs) like, have some fucking empathy. Dan is like, oh, yeah, that is reasonable. Couldn't leave me a note. All right, well, you got me there, Herbert. It's like, dude, it's your cat. I would be so mad. So mad. To your point, Gary, I'd be like, all right, well, you didn't sign a lease, so get the fuck out. Well, let's say, let's say this really happened. Let's say that uh, uh, Wes's excuse was legitimate and true and he had to get to class 
you know, that we don't have cell phones yet. And so if Dan was out, he couldn't necessarily get a hold of him. And then would you have bought the story of him just putting it in the fridge? Let's say all of that was true. What would your reaction be then? Would Do you think you would still toss him out or would you be like, all right, I guess I kind of see why this happened? Nope tossed out because you know what I would do and this is this is no joke this is no like you know white knighting or anything like that if I was say say we all live together you know as our audience sure is assuming that we all do we share a, a, a efficiency apartment um, and mark your 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 cat passed away and I had to go to class I'm, I'm, I'm 100% honest I would not go to class. I would come get, I would come find you or I would get in contact with you and be like, dude, I'm really sorry to bother you, but your cat is dead, man. Like your cat's passed away. I'm with it right now. What do you want me to do? Like if, if it, if it meant me driving to your work to tell you, I do it. If it meant me waiting around with it until you came home to let you know, I do that because that's their pet, man. That, that means a lot. Pets mean a lot to people. You can't just like, uh, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. That's that's psych- That's like fucking psychopathic, man. That's like like oh god, I can't even remember the fucking word, but like it's 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 messed up. Like that's a sociopath, a person who would do that kind of thing. I think that's a good answer. I appreciate it, and my future dead cat appreciates it, Garrett. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know. I just this this scene really bothers me, and I know like. Because because afterwards, what happens is is we cut to a scene where, where Megan leaves and then we hear late at night like a cat screaming and like someone thrashing. And then Dan runs downstairs to the basement where Dr. West is being attacked by dead Rufus. And he's like, get it off me. And immediately Dan doesn't go, cool, my cat's alive and getting revenge on this fucking asshole. He goes, cool, let me grab a bat and like beat the shit out of my cat. I have so many problems with this scene because like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, you're right, Garrett, because like he's fighting his own cat now. And then later on when they're done and out of breath, he goes, he wasn't really dead. He was just napping. It's like, then why were you <laughs> swinging a bat at your own pet, dude? Yeah. And also cats don't nap. The reason the phrase cat nap exists is because they, they aren't very heavy sleepers. You aren't going to put a cat in a fucking fridge poke at it and it's just gonna keep sleeping this is where i'm falling on the fence of like dan is a dunce i (laughs) yes he may have book smarts when it comes to anatomy but he's a stupid stupid man (laughs) he is and then he throws his cat against the wall and the the blood splat against the wall like i'll be honest that's one of the hardest moments of this movie for me is like when he flings that cat against the wall because i'm just like every ounce of me just wants to retch but but the thing is he does that and then immediately takes this like cut in half damaged cat, puts it on the table, and Wes is like, cool, check this out. Let me show you what I did. I reanimated him from dead. And Dan's like, cool, seems like a good plan. You know, like, no, you should be furious at this point. Like, you've just had to, you just found out your cat was dead. You just found out your cat was alive. You just found out you just killed your cat. And now you find that you can bring your cat back and you're just non-plum about any of this. Well, we got to give him a little more credit than that. So he is like, dude, this isn't cool. You got to get out of here. And then Wes is like, if you tell anybody, I'm going to tell the dean that you're fucking his daughter in your house. And then the next day he goes to the dean and he tells the dean everything. And then the dean just immediately is like, you know what, Dan, 
fuck you. <laughs> you're suspended and uh, your your uh, your tuition has been revoked and you're out of here. And by the way, tell West when you get home, he's fucking out too. So, I mean, he wasn't just like, all right, let's just do it. Like he got threatened and he still tried to be a good person about it the next day. And, and well, the reason the dean was like that to him, which seemed like such a, a like a tonal shift for the dean, because this is actually after the dinner that Dr. Hill had with Halsey, Dean Halsey, the, the dean had been um, sort of hypnotized, mind controlled. That's what the dean's like, get the fuck out of here. You're not good enough for my daughter. So you, you start to see that that Dr. Hill actually does have influence because it is a complete 180 for the dean. And um, yeah, you're right. Okay, two... Okay, good point. But the thing is, is I don't know. I just expect a little more emotion after having to kill your recently deceased, like then reanimated cat. I want, I want to see a little more emotion from you when you have to like kill your pet. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. I like two questions about kind of this whole situation. One, when the cat comes back to life after he's been baseball batted to death, he's like crying and making this terrible sound, right? And Herbert goes, uh, birth is always painful, but... Isn't it more likely he's crying because his back's shattered? Well, yeah, they even point that out because he says, like, don't worry, he can't attack us. His back is broken. And then, like, yeah, the cat comes back to life in the screaming agony. I would be a fucking mess. I would be like, yeah, I'm putting it out of its misery right now because I don't care how great you've conquered death. Get the fuck out of my house, you cat killer. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, yeah, and. Then my second question is, does the dean have the power to unilaterally pull back someone's loan and suspend people? I feel like there's probably a process for that. Uh, You know, Mark, as our uh, resident uh, financial expert here, do you want to take that question? Because I have no idea. I think, man, it's been a long time since I was in college now. Um, I want to say that the dean does have some sort of unilateral power. Um, to make somebody uh, leave school. I, I think that can be a situation. But now there's probably a school board or something like that that would have to approve it, maybe? I would think. Also, in Animal House, they had to go on double secret probation. I was unaware of any probation that Dan's on, let alone double secret. Yeah, but this is med school, so it might have different rules. Because, like, you go through, don't you go through normal college and then you go to med school? So this is a little bit like a top tier mm-hmm. uh, education. Okay, okay. Well, if I can refer you to the case of Wazowski versus Monsters U, the Dean Hardscrabble does have the ability to kick both Mike Wazowski and. James P. Sullivan out of Monsters U just at her discretion. So I feel like this might be legit, you guys. Well, I can't argue with Monster U. That's true. Pixar does do their research. So uh, I concede my point. I believe the Dean has this power now. I'm just going to use any opportunity I can to talk about Monsters U. So. All right. Any <laughs> Deans listening out there, please hit us up. So let's go ahead and talk about the reanimation process here because this is going to keep happening over and over and over again. And it's the one fault I'm going to give Dr. West in his research is that every single time you reanimate something, it goes bad. There's not a single time where it's like, oh, that was good. That was a good job, me. Good work. Like, is he retooling his formula or what exactly does he think is going to happen next time? Because uh, the only thing that the movie tells us is like, well, if you do it soon enough after brain death, He's going to, it's going to be normal. Or what do, what do you think he expects to happen? I don't know. I do know I wrote in my notes that Herbert is all about the double or nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I didn't have that listed, but that is like, you just summed it up. This dude doubles down on anything he does, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah, he can't control himself. So I don't think he has a plan, Mark. His only idea is, oh, if I just do it sooner, it'll be better with the exact same formula. It, I don't think he has anything beyond that. That's his one idea. That's crazy. That's yeah, and I would. I think I would have liked to have seen a couple of scenes like you know, Dan. I added a couple more, um, you know, cc's of hydrogen peroxide to this one, so it's a little bit different in formula. But let's keep going. And because Dan, again, my point about Dan is Dan never stops. He goes, Herbert, why'd you do it again? And then he's just back into you know helping him along the way. After he they get kicked out of school. Well, after. Um Wes gets kicked out of school and Dan almost gets kicked out of school as long as he stops dating the Dean's daughter. Then they have a conversation. Uh, Megan comes in and is like, Hey, I broke into my dad's office and read the files. West got kicked out of like Switzerland. Like he's not allowed there anymore. Like he went into a facility and he went into like a psychiatric evaluation. So she's full aware. And she tells Dan this Dan doesn't seem to give a fuck. Like he's like, he's conquered death and it's like dude she's telling you he's a psychopath and to your point mark or uh, john i can't remember who just who just said it he never thinks the problems with his his uh his uh reagent it's always i just got to give him more of it or i got to give him less of it or it's got to be faster it's like dude admit the fault might lie in your actual like serum so at this point everyone we now have our new status quo west is evil west is bad dan just seems like he's still on board for the whole journey. But now we start to get a little like more um, contention with like trying to convince Dan that this is the right thing to do. And they go to the morgue and this is where, man, this scene is crazy. This is where they try to find a, a body that will fit the proper um, specifications that Wes needs to reanimate. They find the biggest, hulkiest dude possible and then they reanimate that motherfucker. Yeah, and I do want to point out that the guy that they got to play this part was a body double for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Are you serious? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Peak Schwarzenegger, you know, Mr. Universe size. Yeah, it's they but the thing is it seems like also every time he reanimates something it's really angry and that's going to come into play later because he can't control because West is just looking for cognitive ability. He's like if I can just see that they understand me or they're actually doing something that shows that they're their brain is still correctly functioning, then cool, Eureka, I've got it. You know, then it's just a matter of fine tuning this whole thing. Yeah. And they literally go grocery shopping before they pick the Schwarzenegger double. They're like, mm, that one's a little crispy. It got burnt. Uh, that one had its face smashed in. We need one that doesn't show any physical signs of damage. So that's really what they're going for. Something that has all the parts intact and a brain still in there to uh, administer the reagent. They reanimate this this hulking monster, and um, he goes off and starts flinging him around the room. At the same time, uh, Dean Halsey shows up with Megan at the hospital. They're like, where is Dan and Dr. West? You know, And they're like, oh, they went down to the morgue. And he's like, damn it. And at this point, he's, he's harnessing some real Tom Atkins vibe here. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's go, Dean Halsey. And he's like, Megan, you stay here. I'm going to go down and see what's going on. When he comes in, Garrett, he says a line that really struck me as very strange. The Dean walks in and she's like, Dad, don't get Dan in trouble. It's not his fault. It's all the West guy. And he's like, no, Megan, this is, I've seen this kind of thing before. And I'm like, really? 
you've seen this kind of thing before. This is common with medical students of trying to sneak in and, and administer weird drugs to dead bodies. Well, <laughs> like, I think this is probably the first time. Let's not forget this is Arkham. Weird shit happens at Arkham. Is that the name of the hospital? Uh, Miss Katonic is the name of the hospital, but all of H.P. Lovecraft's stories are set in Arkham, Massachusetts. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay, I feel really dumb now, but that's actually a good call out, man. Nice. Yeah, now I, I went ahead and I surveyed two doctors. I know two doctors personally. I asked them, is it common for medical students to attempt to reanimate cadavers? And this is what I was told. They said, I can't say we did a lot of that as we tried to treat our cadavers with the utmost respect while tearing them up to literal pieces, although we certainly joked about it. And then they added, also weirdly enough, formaldehyde makes you really hungry, the smell of it. It was really awkward to look down at each individual muscle and fantasize about steak. What the fuck, Mark? What the fuck, dude? So, any of you would-be cannibals out there, get yourself some formaldehyde and you might be able to get yourself into that sort of lifestyle. The Grave Talk podcast does not produce or endorse cannibalism. We definitely don't produce it. <laughs> okay, no. that's not what I meant. I meant to say endorse, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. But we do encourage it. We're not here to shame. <laughs> Oh, boy. So, so anyway, back to Reanimator. Um, they go downstairs. The the Arnold Schwarzenegger lookalike is thrashing around. Tom, oh, not, I almost said Tom Atkins, but uh, Dean Halsey walks in and is like, what are y'all doing in that, that freezer room? This dude bum rushes this giant freezer door, knocks it off its hinges and crushes Dean Halsey below it and then stomps on it as if he's trying to like crush a walnut and you hear cracking and crunching underneath that door. Meg is working her way down to the morgue and then Dr. West takes a, what are they called? Like the, the bone saws? Yeah, it's a bone saw, which uh, one, awesome name, two, sounds terrifying. And it's always ready. It is always ready. Um, <laughs> he, he turns the bone saw on and plunges it right through the chest, like all the way through. So this bone saw goes to the chest of the giant Hulk monster, and then it falls to the ground. Now, at this point, Dr. Halsey has supposedly been, like, has been killed. Dan has just had his ass whooped by a dead person, and... West has basically just proven that he has no control over these dead people. Immediately, without missing a beat, Dr. West goes, quick, pick up Dr. Dean Halsey. We're going to reanimate him real quick. It's so fresh. Now's the time to do it. Dan momentarily likes, like, I don't know if we should at this point. And then immediately is like, damn it, Dan, you got to help me with it. And he's on board again. So they reanimate Dean Halsey. At this point, Meg walks in, sees her dad like full on zombified. They can't control Dean Halsey either. And at this point, um, Dr. Hill comes down. I was like, get them all out of here. I'd like to give Dan the benefit of the doubt here, because if you had uh, been accosted by your girlfriend's father who ended up dead, you may err on the side of if I can bring him back to life and not get in trouble for this. Why don't I give it a shot? Yeah, but there's no empirical evidence to show that he's coming back to life in any normal fashion. So far, everything that's come back to life has been like a, a psychotic, like attacking monster. So I don't know. I think I'd... But from from Dan's point of view, he's probably thinking, well, can't get any worse. I just had a zombie attack me. I killed the Dean. Fuck it. Double or nothing. And he's just going along with Herbert. Uh, th that's, you know what? You, you guys make a, a convincing argument here. So 
everybody comes down to the morgue. Meg is there freaking out. Dr. Hill's there. The cop is the security guard is now like, what the hell's going on? Because he was only three days away from retirement. <laughs> and then um, at this point, Herbert West gives out one of his classic um patent pending you know, West trademark excuses of like, oh, we don't know what happened. It looks like Dean Halsey went crazy and killed this guy and we're just here. And everyone's like, yep, sounds legit to me. Yeah. They let Herbert, they let Herbert and Dan go and then they take Dr. Halsey or Dean Halsey out of there and everything just seems like, okay, that's it. Well, and then Meg like leaves. The Dean also is like in the corner, like hiding and crying and it, it it's so bizarre. Yeah, if like, Herbert's story to any thinking people would be like, wait a second. He's like, I don't know. Dean came in here, went crazy, killed somebody, started attacking us. Megan's like, oh, he was just angry. Uh, and then he's like lobotomized in a corner. Uh, the pieces don't add up. He's not lobotomized yet, but very soon he will be because we we then cut to separate scenes where Meg is talking to uh, West and Dan and she's like, she also says the word daddy way too many times for a grown woman. It's really, really weird. Yes. Um, when you hit a certain age, it, if you're talking to your father and you want to say, you know, use that term, okay, fine, whatever. But when you're talking to other people, don't refer to your father as daddy when you're a grown adult. It's so weird. Um, so anyway, there's that conversation going on and Meg's like, I gotta go. You guys are fucked. You know, like, I don't even know what's going on. I gotta look after my dad. Uh, Dr. Hill has taken Dean Halsey and then that's when he lobotomizes him and finds out that he is dead. He's had crushed like vertebrae. His neck is broken. He's like, my God, he's dead, but living. And that's when he kind of realizes that Dr. West is actually reanimating the dead, and he's right. That brain death doesn't necessarily happen. And that's when he lobotomizes uh, Dean Halsey to kind of make him more subdued. And that's what he's like, I figured out how to control these things. Yeah. It is important to note when they put Dean Halsey in the straitjacket, uh, they did not clean him up at all. He's just a bloody mess. His straitjacket's bloody. It's like, damn, they couldn't even hose the guy down. They just left him... Uh, as they found him in the morgue, they just put him in a straitjacket. Felt really dark, and I felt bad for the dude. I didn't even think about that, but that's really messed up. Yeah, you should at least like wipe the dude down. No, it's like this Doctor Hill guy is a real dick. <laughs> now, this is the part. This is the, the 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 one scene I had the most questions about, and maybe you guys can help me with this. So, after all this goes down, Dan and uh, Herbert go back to the house, Doctor West, and then clearly shaken. Dr. West runs into the room, loads up his syringe with high C ecto cooler and like then is going to inject it in his arm, like shoot it up like fucking heroin. And like Dan's like, what are you doing? He's like, if I can just take a little of this, I don't have to sleep and I can like continue to work on this. And I was like, holy shit, what are like the actual like like properties of this antigen? He's shooting it up at this point. Yeah, I think I can help. So Dr. And... I don't know if they talk about this in the movie. This might be from the story, but the idea of the serum is that there is no soul and life is just a complex chemical reaction so that the serum is essentially an agent that restarts that reaction when it stops for whatever reason. So theoretically, maybe what the the concept is, is that getting sleepy is also that reaction kind of slowing down. So he kicks in the agent, which 
jump starts the life reaction um because you know life finds a way so it starts back up and now he's amped and ready to go again that's i think the theory or you can accept my hypothesis that this serum is 40% Joke Cola, 40% Surge, 30% Mountain Dew. Those numbers <laughs> add up. You can check my science. <laughs> that is an extreme so, uh, syringe. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't see why it can't be both of them combined at the same time. I mean, maybe the science is right, Mark, and that chemical reaction is what basically conquers death. <laughs> I love the fact that we're breaking down the actual content of this uh, reanimation serum. It's important. It's important work we're doing here today. I mean, rule number one is never get high on your own supply. Oh, yeah. So he's already messing up. Dr. West is just all over the place at this point. <laughs> so I think at this time, Dan is having a conversation with Megan and he just like, look, I'm going to come clean. She's uh, hadn't been talking to him because she's really upset at how, you know, uh, uh, very justifiably so that her father was killed and Dan's story didn't quite add up. Right. So she's like, tell me what happens. And through Dan's explanation, she keeps slapping him in the face. And I'm like, yeah, that's uh, you're getting off light here, Dano. He tells him what West was up to. And I think at the same time, this is when Dr. Hill goes down into the basement and confronts West. Is that right? Yeah. This scene was fucking awesome. This was one of my favorite scenes. It's just a great, great, uh, scene, but it does take this whole reagent syrup to a whole new level. Dr. Hill goes down to the basement where Dr. West is, where he's got his like, you know, ecto cooler, you know, reagent sitting there. And he's like, you were right. You beat brain death. You're reanimating the dead. And he start and this, this scene is amazing because it's, it's low lit in this basement. And Dr. Hill is, is talking in this very, deep tone and it's like that's when also like the whole hypnosis thing seems to kind of be kicking in again because he's all like what I'm going to do is you're going to give this to me and I'm going to basically conquer death and I'll be famous and as my assistant you'll also be famous so basically he's like I'm going to steal your shit I'm going to be known for this and this is just how it's going to be and Dr. West seems hypnotized at this point he's like okay and Dr. Hill goes and looks in the microscope and is like, ah, I recognize this, you know, and he starts talking. At this point, Dr. West slowly sinks back, grabs a shovel off the wall, and then smash mode just clangs him upside the head, just knocks Dr. Hill down. And I was like, oh man, that's crazy. No, then he goes up and uses the shovel to like decapitate Dr. Hill. So you see him just take this shovel and just like hack the head off of Dr. Hill. And then boom, we've got a headless Dr. Hill. Now, it gets more fucking crazy because at this point, he picks up the head, puts it in a pan, and I love this moment. He keeps like trying to get it to stand up and it won't stand up properly, and finally he just gets frustrated and smashes it down. Then he injects the head and the body separately with the reagent, and then it re reanimates the head and the body. Now, this is, I love this because at this point, you're, this is what I was talking about when I said it felt like like the old 50s, like, you know, the brain that wouldn't die and stuff like that, um, which I wonder if is a direct homage to that movie because this is very similar, but I love it. The, the, the head of um, Dr. Hill is talking to West. So West now has like, oh man, if it's fast enough and quick enough, it can actually work. Like there actually is brain functionality there because he's like, West, you bastard. And he's saying it, barely able to say it because, of course, he has a severed head. But at this same exact moment, West is like patting himself on the back. The body gets up off the ground and headless knocks Dr. West out. 
And then we come to with Dan coming downstairs and being like, West, wake up. What's going on? West realizes he's been robbed. So the headless body of Dr. Hill has taken the head and all of the serum and all of his work and then is absconded with it. And West, not even being so upset that I got my ass kicked by a headless corpse, is more like, he took my work. And I'm just like, dude, your priorities are all fucked up, man. Yeah, except for the secret stash he had upstairs, of course. Well, you got to have a secret stash. Yeah, naturally. So is Dr. Hill able to control his body because he's a hypnotist? Or is this some new here, uh, you know, here for unseen power that the serum uh, provides? Oh, that's a great question. I do not know. I would like to think that it's because, but the thing is, if there's no ears on the body, how would he hear the hypnosis? Yeah, that's a good question. It seems like it's working like normal, like he just thinks and the body does. But that's not exactly how brains work. So like, maybe because he's like, because he got a double dose, the body and the brain. <laughs> <sighs> I can't figure it out. He's like a super zombie, though. He can control his body, who then just picks up his head and walks it around, which is great in a pan, uh, in that pan that, it, you know, uh, Herbert put him in, which is hilarious, um, but confusing. I think, John, we're going to have to do what science does, and we're just going to have to decapitate another 10 people and have a real good sample to find <laughs> out what happens. It's a- Good point, which is... If we want to be uh, correct about this scientific method, yes, we would need to duplicate these results multiple times. (laughs) Right. If I had to take a guess, dude, I would probably guess it has to do with his hypnotist powers. Although, you know, when he injects the fluid into the body, I don't know if that becomes its own new entity creature or what. You know, is, is, is head and body now separate entities or if they're still attached by a quote-unquote soul or something like that it's really tough to say well there is no soul there as as john illustrated and actually was and as was said in the movie it's not a soul it has to do with just chemicals then i'm going to chalk it up to hypnotism because i don't think there would be any scientific explanation to why a detached head you know once you sever that nerves you sever the nerves you sever that uh, spinal cord there should be no communication from the head to the body so i'm going to err on the side of crazy 80s hypnotism powers have to say this this scene disappoints me because the movie had been so scientifically accurate up till now i was on board and it was just this one leap i was like oh man this otherwise perfect film this is the dead reanimated shark it jumped (laughs) possibly i think dr west and dr hill need to meet up with the flatliners kids and share their notes and see if they can really truly conquer death i think there's something here i think you're right yeah we should get that going So at this point, the movie transitions and um, Dr. West and uh, Dan are like, yo, we got to go stop Dr. Hill. He's going to use this reanimator serum and stuff like that. But earlier in the movie, Dan had found a file in Dr. Hill's like office that was filled with like Megan's hair and pictures. It was super fucking creepy. And that's when they're like, oh, my God, he's not going to go after us. He's going to go after Megan. So Dan runs to go get Megan. And he runs into the house and he like hugs her and he's like, you know, like, I just want to make sure you're okay. I shouldn't be here. And she's like, look, I wanted to hate you. I should hate you, but I just can't hate you. And so all is forgiven, it seems. And then at that point, the fucking decapitated body shows up, beats the shit out of Dan and takes Megan <laughs> to the morgue where Dr. Hill has set up. Can I just point out that this is one of my favorite scenes also? And just 
really portrays how bad the security guard is at his job because you've got a giant trench coat Dr. Hill body wearing like the head of like a like a, a medical student model with a top hat on or not a top hat but you know like that detective hat and he's like slinking against the wall like you would see this in your periphery I don't care if you're looking at a porno mag while you're on the clock man like you would see this giant figure in a trench coat trying to sneak into the room right next to you <laughs> Yep. And he calls out and he's like, is that you, Dr. Hill? And he's like, yes, like from muffled from the bag that the head's being transferred in. And then he's like, cool, have a good night. And you're just like, dude, you are so bad at your job. I love the security guard. He's the funniest character in this whole movie. Yeah, he's a great character. So, yeah. So we've got Dr. Hill who's setting up in the morgue that we were in earlier. I'm sorry. I I fucked up earlier. He doesn't send the severed head body to go get uh, Megan. He sends her dad, who he has found out how to control by lobotomizing him, to go beat up Dan, pick up Megan. And then Megan's dad, zombified, brings Megan's body to the morgue where Dr. Hill's set up. And this is where the movie takes a turn that I just I really have a problem with um they tie Barbara Crampton up to one of the the metal tables I don't know what you call those that you put dead bodies on like a gurney or something like that yeah and they strip her naked which you know par for the course in horror movies but then it gets so fucking weird and I wonder if this was any Usna (laughs) influence at all the severed head starts telling Megan how much he loves her and she's freaking the fuck out she's like Get me the fuck out of here. The, 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 the headless body picks up the severed head of Dr. Hill and it starts like licking her and sucking on her tit and then eventually like walks it down and then puts it between her legs. And I guess we're supposed to assume that he's like filleting her. But, yo, it's so weird to have this like medium shot of like naked Barbara Crampton getting eaten out by a severed head. And I was like, this is this is intense. <laughs> This is a bit much, honestly. So the uh, the the I watched some of this the special features and they talk about this scene. Obviously, it's it's a well remembered uh, scene for the movie because it's so gross. But they said that he doesn't actually get to perform on her. It's like walking right up to the line and then they get interrupted. So he was about to do that act. That's right. It still is very awkward though. Just to make it even weirder, while she's passed out, she's being groped. By the uh, the body, you know, Hill's body without the head. And he's just sitting there in, in his little in his little headpan, like rolling his eyes back and be like, hmm, this is nice. But it, it's still weird. It's still very off-putting. And then to think to the fact that her dad is the one that stripped her naked for this act to take place. It is disturbing. Yeah, her zombie dad is standing by watching this happen. And it's like, yo, this is so fucking awkward. This also makes that moment when um, Barbara Crampton in the uh, In Search of Darkness documentary basically says, look, we did a lot of things basically getting naked just to get the roles. Because back then, if you weren't willing to do it, you weren't going to get the part. And it's like, I think this is one of those moments she's referring to. Because I don't know if you could do this scene nowadays and really get away with it. It's, It's exceptionally disturbing. Agreed. So this scene did make me bring up a scientific question that is, is it's going to be hard to hear, but I want to know what your opinion is. Do you think reanimated sperm works? Mm. Well, Mark. Because I was very surprised that a dead reanimated person would still be such a horn dog in death. And I was sitting there going, is Dr. Hill more of a creep alive or dead? 
Well, definitely more of a creep dead because now he's a rapist. He transitioned from creep to rapist. Um, but I feel like he, given the chance in life, he would have done this anyway. You know what I mean? Hmm. Oh, no, he was already trying to do that. He was already trying to do it. He was trying to get like Dan and her to break up because he was going to like make his move. Now, would he have gone full like tie you down to a table and rape her? I don't know. I mean, they do say the brain is the the biggest erogenous zone, Mark. So possibly <laughs> they do. <laughs> he does seem. Well, I mean, now, Mark, does sperm play a big role in enjoyment of sex? He can still be enjoying sex, even if he's shooting blanks. John's got a point. Oh, no. This was just a separate question that I had posed in my brain. It's not that I think it was involved in the in the pleasure part of it. I was like, how far does the reanimation bring you back to life? Are you boys still swimming or not? I think so. If you agree with... If, if you follow through the premise of the movie that life is just a chemical reaction... It brings back everything that's not physically damaged. So assuming that, you know, your junk is still there and functional, it should kick back on and make little reanimated sperm that are probably, I imagine, neon green. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's that's disturbing in ways that I don't ever. Oh, man. They shine a black light in the room. There's little like green spots all over the bed sheets. Oh, my um, God. You don't need a black light anymore. It does the job for you. <laughs> it glows without it. Oh, man. Okay. This is taking a turn. You go into a hotel room and you're just like, another room, please. This one needs a cleaning and I didn't even need the black light to look. This one looks like a Daft Punk rave took place. I want out. <laughs> Gross. I just, oh man. So yeah, yeah. Gross from the guy who was like, do you think the sperm still work after you've been reanimated? You took us down this road, Mark. You don't get to be upset with where it ended. <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm, I was talking about the scientific nature. Do reanimated babies come out normal? Or are they some sort form of zombie? Well, I or think does it not work at all? That's basically what I was wondering. I think it depends. On, so zombie man, hu human baby, or sorry, human woman equals human baby. Zombie woman, human man, zombie baby. Two zombies together? Now that, that's like crossing the streams. You don't want to know what happens. Oh, man. I need a chart. You you need a muzzle. I don't want to think about <laughs> reanimator sperm. <laughs> um, at this point, Dr. West and Dan bust into the uh, the room. And Dr. West is like, oh, man, I forget the exact line, but he's all like... Something like, getting a little ahead of yourself, are we, doctor? <laughs> I made that up. Zing! Now he goes, he's like, Dr. Hill, you're reanimated, and the first thing you're trying to do is have sex. I'm so disappointed. You're not even a good scientist or man or some bullshit like that. And then the talking head is like whatever i'm gonna tell everyone how i cured death uh so everything you're saying here irrelevant and then Herbert west goes you'll never get credit for my discovery who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow dude that's such a fucking like like it just seems so weird to say at that moment it's like y'all saw what was about to happen right i think everyone needs to be a little more upset and dan in typical dan fashion is like oh i guess i should get involved and goes over and like tries to pick up um, Barbara Crampton off the table. And he's like, shh, be quiet. We don't want to alert them that that we're trying to rescue you. West is keeping um, Dr. Hill like occupied. And at this point, it's this, the, the headless body holding um, Dr. Hill's head in front of it. This is where everything goes tits up. Okay, and this is what I don't understand about this. He's going to inject Dr. Hill with the serum again because he says he has a theory. Now, I don't know what that theory was, but... 
we see what happens later on when it happens. But at this point, Dr. Uh, Hill is all like, ah, you think you can stab me with that shit? No. And then like reanimated every dead body in this room. So now we are just rotten with zombies up inside this morgue. Yeah. I wonder now, and here's always my question about all of these things, because they never, they need to be putting up charts about powers. Is Dr. Hill like, or when you're reanimated, do you become super strong? I think so. Yeah, he ninjas Mr. West, no problem. Like, West didn't even come close to stabbing him with the extra fluid, which I, do, I agree. I don't know what his theory is, except to my earlier point, West only has one theory. More reagent equals better. <laughs> so when faced with a problem... Oh, dude. <laughs> I wish that was the tagline for this movie. More more reagent equals better. God. Oh man. I would I would buy a shirt that basically just had like a giant syringe that said that. <laughs> um that's his only theory. That's his only idea. So I think that's what he was trying to do. Um and there we do see a scene a little bit earlier where Dr. Hill is directing his body to perform surgery on all of these zombies so that he can mind control them. Cause I was confused about how he was mind controlling them. Uh, but I guess if they get lobotomized, he can magically control them to bend to his will. Yeah. And he says that that actually is explained in the movie. He, cause he's talking to West and he's all like, you fool. I perfected it. You know, like it's a simple lobotomy, you know, can make them docile enough to be controlled. Then they get into the whole ego thing. He's all like, no way. I know what I'm doing. He's like, no, you were dumb. You have to lobotomize them. And then, you know, the zombies pop up and attack um, Barbara Crampton and Dan. And I I mean, Meg called her Barbara Crampton. But um, they attack them. So they're trying to survive these like rando zombies. And zombies are attacking, you know, West. And West is trying to stab, you know, Hill. And it's just, it's it's a whole brawl. It's just a melee, you know, melee in the morgue. Let's get ready to reanimate. They eventually like get an opening to where Dan and uh, Meg are going to escape. But then West stabs Hill with the serum and injects him. Now, Hill starts going crazy and falls to the ground and his chest bursts open. And then his like intestines shoot out like a fucking tentacle from an anime and wrap up Dr. West and what was the point? Like, how did that happen? Is that something if you use more, like you become a, a like a living monster? Yeah. Um, I, uh, there's no answers. That seems to be the case, though. And I think what the problem was, he just didn't use enough of the serum. He just needed a little bit more. Oh, his knee more. <laughs> yeah, and that would have fixed it. Just a little more serum. Yeah, the whole intestine exploding out of his chest and like choking him and, and starting to drag him towards the body. I was like, is it just going to eat West? Like, what is its goal now? Weird. Yeah. Yeah, its goal becomes very unclear to begin. Like, so he thinks, he still thinks in a little bit earlier in your movie that he's going to get famous for curing death. But if you get brought back to life but have to be lobotomized are you actually back to life none of those zombies really seemed alive i mean they seemed mechanically alive but not alive i don't know how to phrase it they didn't have any cognitive functions right they're just bodies i don't know that they knew they were alive 
And who would want to come back like that? I mean, I don't think I'd want to come back as a rage monster with like a completely jacked up, messed up body. No, definitely not. Me, no, me either. So let's wrap this one up. We're, we're right there at the end, right? Yeah, because this one, this one is, it, we're pretty much at the end. So at this point, West is cha- captured by the giant intestine tentacle and is being sucked into like the, the, the like some pipe got bust and so there's smoke everywhere and then uh dan and meg are about to escape and at this point west is like take my research and throws the bag full of um antigen or serum or whatever the fuck it's called and uh throws it at um dan dan picks it up and they run out and then they have to they almost get their ass kicked by a zombie in the hallway but they get on the elevator and they get out but Barbara Crampton, I mean, Meg was being choked by one of the zombies in the uh, the elevator. So he finally gets that away, but she's dying. And then they rush her upstairs because they're in the hospital. They take her to the operating room and then they're trying to save her. They're using the paddles. They're giving her CPR and stuff like that. But no, she's dead. She's straight up dead, bro. Like, And I thought, I did not remember this the first time I watched it. I was like, oh man, I forgot. She dies straight up. And then we get one of the coolest scenes ever. Like, or the cool things ever. Like he grabs, he goes into the bag and gets out a, um, a syringe of the reanimation agent. And then the screen goes black, but the green serum is still visible on the screen. And then you see the green go down. Like it's being injected into Barbara Crampton's dead body. And then you hear her just scream, but the screen is totally black at this point. Cause all you see is the serum being injected thought that was really cool. I, I always love that that final outro with this. Yeah, that was great. Uh, really well shot. Like, good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with this ending. I think they did it well enough. We often complain about endings of horror movies, but I think this one was a, a good cliffhanger ending. Have any of you seen any of the sequels? Uh, I haven't, so I'm wondering if they're worth anything. I own Brighter Reanimator, but I haven't watched it yet. Okay, you guys need to watch Brighter Reanimator. It, it's not as good, I don't think. It's still pretty good, though. But it turns really strange um, because now West is actually sewing together different body parts and creating own his own little creatures. So... It's like eyeballs with finger legs, like a spider wandering around and shit like that. Interesting. Hmm. It, it it does get into the bride of uh, the, the, the title claims. I don't want to tell you too much if you haven't seen it yet, but uh, Dr. Hill does come back in this one, as does Meg, too. So I'll just leave it there. That's crazy. Like there's <laughs> also if you haven't uh, read the trivia like on IMDb about this movie, do yourself a favor. There is some insane stuff like... Like evidently, um, uh, the guy who plays the actor who plays uh, Doctor Hill, like when his wife first saw the the scene, she like yelled, "How could you?" and like stormed out. And like Stuart Gordon, the director's like, "I can confirm this happened." And shortly after, they got um, divorced. And on the commentary, evidently, like most of the cast thinks that that's because that that scene is because the reason and i'm like that's fucking insane yeah i mean like you know the unrated version of this movie was just too much for some people including uh family members of the cast yeah it's this movie is it's nuts i mean i i totally get why it's a horror classic i mean it definitely is a very fun disgusting creepy horror movie um this was one of my choices so i mean clearly i enjoy it 
But man, there's definitely some stuff in it that I'm just like, wow. Okay, you put it on film. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like I said at the top, I would wholly recommend this one if you haven't seen it. Uh, you should have watched it before you heard us talk about it. But um, if you made it this far and you still haven't seen it, please go watch it as soon as you can. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, I'd very much agree with that. It is super enjoyable. It's just a fun movie. Um, the regular unrated cut's only 86 minutes, so it's not even really all that long. But miraculously, it's a good movie under 90 minutes. Those are rare. Normally when you start seeing them in the 85-minute range, you're like, ignore that. This is worth it. Or watch that integral version and get that hour and 44 minutes and uh, get all that extra stuff. Yeah, the extras are worth it. All right. Well, listeners, have you seen Reanimator? You probably have if you're listening to us. But let us know what you think about the movie on our social media. You can find us at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We've got www.thegrapetalk.com where you can find all our latest news and episodes. And what do we got next on the docket, Garrett? What's the next one we're doing? The next movie we got is Deathgasm. That's from New Zealand, if I'm correct. Yeah, it's from New Zealand. Yep, the uh, the the hard rock, heavy metal New Zealand horror flick. It's really fun. Deathgasm's up next, so get it watched. And if you want to see it before we talk about it, until then, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Yeah.